What's up, bad bitches? I have some breaking news for you. In today's investment headlines, there was a breaking news story that, drumroll please, Chad got funding. And wait, wait a minute. That's not really news, is it? Because there are more Chads that get funded every day than women overall. If you didn't know yet, women receive less than 2% of all venture capital dollars and women of color receive 0.2% of that. And more chads get funding every single day than women overall. I need to reiterate that point because it is so, so ridiculous. But what makes today's headline really, really crazy is that it wasn't even a real chad. He was an AI chad an artificial intelligence Chad, and his name is Chad Smith. And basically what happened is there's this guy who used AI to create a fake LinkedIn profile of a founder, and it was a AI-generated white male face, a Stripe alum, a Stanford dropout who is going through Y Combinator, which is this top tech accelerator, and a quote-unquote polymath. Within 24 hours of creating this fake LinkedIn account, this fake Chad, Chad Smith, had a venture capitalist reach out to invest in his company. The venture capital investor, his message said, hey Chad, I'm an analyst for XYZ Ventures, and I saw you were starting your founder journey. A few ex-Stripe buddies of mine had great things to say about you, and I'd love to connect to learn more about what you're building and share more about our fund. This is crazy and so indicative of the Venture Capital Investment Boys Club. And the reason women-led companies don't receive investment is precisely because Joe invests in Tom's company, Tom invests in Chad, Chad invests in Brad, and Brad invests in Vlad, and Vlad invests in Joe, and the circle keeps going and going, and at no point does a woman ever get into that circle to actually get access to the investment dollars. This is exactly why companies like FTX get funded with millions of dollars of investment because the kind of due diligence that these VC boys club investors do when they look at companies like FTX is literally, and I quote, why one investor invested in FTX, quote, I invested in FTX because Sam Bankman fried the founder, could talk crypto while playing a video game. Q eye roll. I mean, honestly, if this is how the venture capital world operates, we are all fucked, to put it lightly. And so I, for one, am tired of seeing chads, real or fake, getting funded. And at Bad Bitch Empire, we are ready to take the matters into our own hands because bad bitches don't sit around and complain. We take action. And so we are committed to unapologetically getting rich together and pouring millions of dollars into female-led businesses. Doing this means shifting our focus from individual change to collective action. To that end, I am so excited to announce that we are launching our Bad Bitch Investing Masterclass to teach you what it takes to start investing in women-led businesses. Because you can start investing regardless of your experience or your income 
from or your background, and we want to empower you with the tools and knowledge to do just that. So in this masterclass, we're going to learn how to angel invest, which means invest in startups with unapologetic confidence. We're going to learn how to create a smart investment strategy and portfolio, how to avoid common mistakes as new angel investors, how to build and grow your angel investor network, and how do you find billion-dollar female-led startups to maximize your impact and profit. And we're going to do this together in a crew of bad bitches. So let's build unapologetic worth and wealth together. Make sure you sign up at badbitchempire.com slash masterclass, and we'll see you next week. So for today's conversation, I'm super excited to dive deeper into the topic of investing in women, why it's so important, why we are better investors. So let's get started. A bad bitch takes charge of her body, her boundaries, and her bank account. (laughs) Today, I'm here with Clara Vaidyanath. She is the founder and CEO of 32 Cents, an alternative assets investing club built by women for women. She's a two-time COO who has spent over 17 years in finance and fintech. She began her career at JP Morgan and then Credit Suisse, where she worked on tech IPOs such as Shopify. She's helped companies scale from pre-product all the way to IPO. So she has had her fair share of finance, fundraising, and startup experience. And Clara is a CFA charter holder and a CPA and much, much more, and certainly a bad bitch investor herself. Clara, welcome to the Bad Bitch Empire. Thank you so much, Lisa. It's it's amazing to be here. So let's get started. And I always love to start here, which is I want to know about your background and especially how good girl brainwashing affected you, how you broke out of that to ultimately become the bad bitch that you are today. I loved that question when I first heard it. And I grew up as a child of immigrants and also an immigrant myself coming to a new country. And so my family is largely just people who have held you know, jobs for 25 years and they retired with the same company. And frankly, what I was told when I was younger was go to university, get a good job, save money, buy a house, right? This were the, these were the spectrum of things that I was basically given um, that was a possibility to be done. And I think that definitely had an impact because for the for the longest time, even while working in banking, while working at startups, I remained severely underinvested. And so to me, kind of a branching out and finding that for that that financial tribe and finding those different opportunities and portfolios never entered my social circles never entered my mind. I was transacting these deals on one hand and seeing kind of my male colleagues, you know, have 10K over here and 20K over there and 40K over here, but never thought it would be something that I could do because that was never explained to me and that was never in my circle. I think a lot of us are in that position and part of 32 cents and part of why I'm working on this problem is because I think we all can are capable of being so much more powerful. And so what was your relationship like to money starting from a young age? Like, how did you how did you really think about money, especially coming from an immigrant background? 
oh, it was a complete scarcity mindset. Save everything that you can, spend very little, build up your savings account, max out your 401k, save money for a down payment, buy a house. That was it. And then you just earned and you saved, right? Investing never entered the conversation. So the relationship with money, and that's, I think, true for a lot of women is we invest differently from men. And I think it's product of our conditioning. It's a product of our socialization. I think we tend to approach things from a, I'm going to be cautious, try a little bit, dip my toes in, as opposed to going all in. But that's okay. We need to design better financial products to suit that. But that said, it is a mindset thing where I, again, I spent 17 years in finance, right? I should have a more broad view of these things but I think as a woman especially it kind of comes in and you and the way I grew up it was just let's just save and be cautious and conservative and, and protect 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 as opposed to build 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 and so when was the first time you really started to become aware that it was important to invest was it when you started working in finance or before that it was when not it was way it was way after it should have been right like i was working in finance for years never occurred to me when i sold one of a a startup to walmart at some point i was part of that transaction and that transaction basically i looking through the cap tables of all the angels who had invested who were all getting paid out now a pretty good amount of money that's when i said i know some of these guys like I know them and they're on the cap table and they're making these tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. How do I, how do I do that? How do I get into that? That was my first light bulb moment when I said, I want to be an angel, angel investor. How do I, how do I get into that world? And then you find that it's difficult to break into that world even because you're not talking socially about money to the same extent. You're not in those circles, but that was my light bulb moment when I saw these people getting wealthy. And I'm like, I want to do that. <laughs> so how old were you when that light bulb moment happened? Oh, in my early 30s, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> yes, late, much, much, much later. And, and that's why I love your mission, Lisa, to get women involved when they're much younger, because we can do better. We can, we can do better than I did. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, there's just so many stats that show women are better investors, especially long-term investors, because even though we might uh, not be as impulsive as often men are when they're making investments or just impulsive traders, when we do our research and when we commit to a decision and we actually make that decision to invest, we have more conviction and we hold it. And so it shows that when you trade less impulsively over time, you're actually more likely to be a successful investor and outperform. That is absolutely true. And what's more, the data is coming out now on across a variety of investment managers, right? Traders, female traders respect stop losses more. They trade much, and to your point, they trade much more intentionally. Women hedge fund managers outperform their benchmarks. CEO, uh, when companies are led by female CEOs, they outperform the stock market. Mutual funds led by women outperform. This is coming across in a variety of spaces where women generate just better returns. So it's actually a great investment decision to invest in women, not just a mission-driven thing. Exactly. And so we are at this point where the data is there. Women outperform. 
we return, we're better investments, right? The, the average female founder, even though she gets significantly less capital to start with over time, she actually has a better ROI. And so there's this disconnect, right? We've got the data and yet there's still this, call it um, just perspective or this label that it's, it has to be impact. Like investing in women is a diversity initiative. It's an impact initiative. What do you think we can do to actually shift that narrative? I think one of the most powerful ways to shift that narrative is to get more capital in the hands of women. That's the genesis of 32 cents, right? Because here's the thing. No one wakes up, in my opinion, in the morning and says, today I will be biased, right? That's not a thing that we do, but it's pattern matching. As investors, people come in and say, I need to make a decision on a very risky asset with very little information. And so what do I do? But I look for patterns. Does he look like me? Does he talk like me? Did he go to the same school as me? Was he in the same fraternity as me? And that just leads to more trust, even though it really shouldn't, but it does. And it's natural and it's human. So for me, right, the way to fix this systemically is to make women wealthier and get them more assets and get them more power to invest in other women in their pattern matching. And so that way we can really start to spread our wealth and tell more of our stories uh, by giving us more financial power. And I also think that, I mean, that's such a good point about the pattern matching. What you said about, especially as investors, we have to make investment decisions based on very little information, especially when it comes to angel investing. You're like, you see the founder in front of you and you have to, oftentimes they're pre-product and you have to make a decision of whether or not 10 years from now, five years from now, this is something that's actually going to return your money. And so what we often see is the confidence of a mediocre white man who says, you know, this is a company that's going to go public and it's gonna be a billion dollar startup and you're like yeah but you don't you, you have no track record and you have no product and you have no team but his confidence level is through the roof and that is the man that ends up getting investment whether you know that's a founder or the fund manager who has no experience but has buddies in the fraternity and so I think that this is a big part of what women also need to work on is and that's why at Babbage Empire our tagline is unapologetic worth and wealth because in addition to thinking about the wealth, it's like, I always say that the wealth will come when the worth is there. Like we need to be able to walk into those rooms and have the trust in ourselves that we are great builders, that we are great fund managers, that we are great investors and convince, like we, we look at that data and say, yeah, that data is applicable to me. I'm actually an exceptional investor if I just apply myself to it. Absolutely. That's a great, great point. And, and again, things that I resonate with really strongly, right? Because I think we're not socialized to think that way. To your point, when you asked me the earlier question, how does good girl brainwashing affect you? Good girls are humble. Good girls don't boast. Good girls don't talk about their what their, what their accomplishments are. And so it took me a while as now I'm an, as an executive and now as a founder to be able to walk into a room and say, I know exactly how to build this company. I have 15 years, 17 years of background right and so but to be able to deliver that message with a confident view took me a long time and let's want to harken back to that question around you know even with I think all of us suffer from that and it's something that we need to systematically sort of un, unwind yeah 
to break free of. I saw this hilarious quote on Instagram and it said the feminine urge to say, I think when in actuality, I know for a fact. And so I noticed myself doing this too, where I often say, I think this, when you see the, the language of men, which is this, this is how it works. This is what's going to happen. This is how they're going to act when and as women, I think language is so important when it comes to fundraising, when it comes to making decisive decisions as investors, which is this, this decisiveness that comes with the energy you bring to the table, the language that you speak. It's like, I think this will be a good, good investment. I think that you should invest in me. I think, I think, I think. And that language is always inward focused. And I think part of this practice of building up worth is just stating stating your track record unapologetically. Like even when I looked at your track record and I think a lot of times when people, I just said, I think again, <laughs> call me out on it. <laughs> um, but yeah, when when we look at track records of bad bitches like you and I, it's like, obviously we're great fund managers and and it's about owning that, right? And really encouraging and empowering other women around us who are also incredible to see that in themselves and in the mirror. That's the power, I think, of communities. I think having good communities around you to like Bad Witch Empire, like I hope 32 cents um, as we get bigger, I really want us to find our financial tribe and stick to that and sort of start to see this um, see this growth in knowledge, see this growth in our own confidence as we gain that knowledge and, and learn how to discuss and debate and talk through complicated financial things. Because here's the thing, we're all really smart. I mean, but there's, it's, just, it's just a new language. How many la new languages have you learned? So many. Right. When you train in your craft, when you go to a new place, you learn a new language. And so being a founder, raising money, I think a fund, it's just learning a new language. And we can 100 percent do that. Yeah. One thing I actually spoke to an advisor about today when I was talking through the Bad Bitch Empire Fund and our investing strategy and, you know, we're we're starting our next close soon. And it was the conversation around confidence as a fund manager and confidence as an investor. And one of the things that I was telling him was a big part of this was just convincing myself internally that I could trust myself. Because as we know, investing is a game where you could lose all your money. And, and a lot of times it is a risk, but the one, like when you, it's, it's often even a numbers game. It's about access, community, and how many that you invest in. Like if you invest in one thing and you expect that to turn 100%, you're like, that's, that's just bad numbers. But ultimately it was, do I trust myself in every other aspect of my life? Because I looked at my track record and I said, every time I have a goal in mind and I commit myself wholeheartedly to that goal, I fucking hit that goal. So why would I not trust myself to make great investments when I've built this incredible network, when I've built this brand. And so I think that that sort of exercise to ask yourself, especially as a woman, if you do have tendencies to doubt yourself and say, well, let me look at all the other aspects of my life where I've been successful and I've trusted myself. What is the reason to not trust myself when it comes to this new endeavor, learning this new language of finance and investing? 
Absolutely. And it's funny, I resonate so much with that because I, like I said, I've I've been an executive for a long time and that's a world I know really well. I know how to run a company, right? That I can do in my sleep. But being a founder, I had to learn a brand new language and I'm about to start my fundraise now as well. And just going through that, and even in my mind, there's this, there's this angst around, oh, but will anyone give me money? Of course they'll give me I mean, look at my track record again, look at what I've done and built and look at my background. But there's still this voice that, that says, you know, actually, what if no one, but, but yeah, but you've got to overcome that. And I think it's just learning that you're right, trusting yourself in every other aspect of your life. And why would you not succeed here? Yeah. Yeah. So that let's, let's then dive into this overarching issue. You know, we've talked about the psychology, but why are women still sitting on the sidelines when it comes to investing? You touched upon this briefly in the beginning, how I think more and more women are putting their money into 401ks, high yield savings accounts, doing the typical, even investing in some real estate. But what is it from your research that you've seen? Why do women sit out on investments? I think it's twofold. I actually think psychologically, the products that we have out there right now are not designed for us. They're not designed to address the differences in the way in which we invest versus men. We are community oriented. We do seek social proof. We are cautious. We do approach this from a more risk attuned mindset. But guess what? That's okay like we need to build products for that because it's like we're just being asked to wear men's suits why can't we build a suit for women which is i think a big reason why women kind of sit out is when you when you sell a financial product these days you're told create a sense of urgency make it seem complicated really be super pushy in you know getting this done make it feel super exclusive on black tie that all works better for men than it does for us and so we just sit out right so we need to reimagine the financial ecosystem frankly to create products that are much more designed for women's psychology and i think we'll be fine participating in that i often think about i mean shopping with a group of girlfriends or going out for dinner with a group of girlfriends and how enjoyable it is to share a bottle of wine and talk about your experiences with your girlfriends. And I think that even replicating that emotional safety within community as it comes to investing or that sense of fun and pleasure is so important. And the financial and investing world has been the exact opposite. It feels emotionally <laughs> unsafe, right? It feels emotionally or just like intellectually difficult to understand with unnecessary jargon. I was listening to uh, some crypto bros the other day and they're talking about, you know, for we, we've now heard about apes and squiggles and like real, real conversation between the crows and the pigs. And, the, and I'm like, is this real conversation? But it is. And so it's, I think even finding our own way, our own discussion around jargon and like creating our own language is also really important where it feels like community. And I think that's something that both you and I have in common, which is the importance of cultivating that community bond within the investing sphere. I 
think, sorry, I was laughing. I think fundamentally the jargon is the enemy of participation because we will, we as women, as you found out earlier, will not invest in things we don't thoroughly understand for a good reason. And so having a field full of jargon, which finance definitely is, is something that I think leads to people just not feeling engaged or not feeling like they're capable or qualified to participate. And just drawing on that thread of spending time with your girlfriend sharing a bottle of wine, that's such an amazing experience. But how often do you talk about money with your girlfriends? I mean, you would because you're you. However, (laughs) I think for a lot of us, it's like, and even for me, right? If you get three men in a room, it's first the game and it's secondly money. What are you making? Where are you put it into? What are you doing? We don't talk that. And so building up that social confidence around it, I think, is, again, a huge part of why you started Bad Bitch Empire and I started 32 Cents, is to find that sense of community, find that sense of safety in the financial world. Yeah. And and I think this conversation, and we do talk about a lot about this in the Bad Bitch Empire, which is opening up the conversation about money, releasing that shame around money. And I think that there's this really detrimental idea, which is ask for advice instead of money, because if you ask for advice, you get money. If you ask for money, you get advice. And so we're then encouraged to ask for advice. But I actually think women should ask for money (laughs) because if you ask for advice, you're just only going to get advice (laughs) and you're going to be stuck in advice zone and mentorship. And you're like, actually, deep down, I just really want the money. (laughs) I could not agree more and i think i think the powerful combination frankly is advice and money which is kind of why i think you know what you're doing with the fund is so powerful and what i'm doing with my community is so powerful because we're both uniting a fund around a community because in the community we build that safe space we build that way to really talk about money take away the shame and talk about and learn and level up but then there's a so watch, right? It's like, great, so we learned about hedge funds. What do we do with that information? Well, we can invest in them. That's that's the so watch, which is kind of why I think the two should really be hardwired together to really raise participation rates for women. Absolutely. So you take the talk, you put it into action, you take the education, you put your skills into action. And so let's dive in because we have seen an uptake in women investing in home ownership and savings, but for investments that generate real upside, private market investments, aka alternative assets, we simply don't participate. So I want to dive into the specific alternative asset classes and just give a broad overview of uh, some of the big ones so that the audience can understand. So we've got public markets, which is stock market, publicly listed, you can trade them. And then we've got private assets, aka alternative assets, which are ones that don't turn up in public markets like hedge funds, private equity, venture capital, angel investments, um, secondaries, real estate, collectibles, watches, art, wine. Um, so let's 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 talk about those because these are the ones that are not correlated with the, the broader stock market. And so you have a lot of experience in these. So let's let's start with an overview and then tell us, you know, the how these are typically things that are given to the elite investors, right? The high, high net worth. And how is it then we'll dive into once we have the overview, how women can get involved. 
Absolutely. So let's start with just generally what private market assets do, right? So they are markets that are that they're assets that are not traded in public markets. And by that I mean they're assets that you only get to by invitation. So you get invited to be an LP of a hedge fund. You get invited to participate in a venture capital fund, for example. So all these asset classes historically were gated basically by invitation or requiring high amounts of capital to participate. Um, to buy a piece of art, you typically would need to have $5 million plus in net worth to be able to afford the piece of art that, that can then appreciate. What alts do for you is they are uncorrelated with the broader stock market, meaning in a well-balanced portfolio, you don't want to always go up and down, up and down as the markets move up and down. You want to have assets that give you steady, predictable growth as well, in addition to the upside that you get with assets that are correlated with, with the stock market. So if you so for example, if you take the portfolios of elite allocators like and by that, I mean Harvard Endowment that's growing at 30%, right? If you take the portfolio of these big funds, they have 50% or more of their assets in private market assets like these. Hedge funds, for example, are discretionary investment funds that participate in various instruments to capitalize on just the markets moving or various events like mergers or global events. Um, private equity capitalizes private companies and, and, and cuts costs and help them grow. Venture capital and angel is something that they're a bit more familiar with, which are investments that are made in early stage companies that can yield really good upside if it works, but obviously quite risky as well. Um, secondaries are buying and selling the shares of free IPO companies like Stripe, for example. And so all of these asset classes have unique characteristics, but one thing that they share in common is they are uncorrelated with the stock market in, in, in most part, and they have the potential to add significant upside to your portfolio if allocated correctly. Um, these were typically, like I said, gated by invitation. And so only those with ultra high net worth got the invitation to participate in these kinds of assets. In the last five years, though, I'd say, yeah, last five years, last 10 years even, there's been a push to offer more of these products to retail consumers. So you'll see companies like Equi or Forge or Moonfair or Vina West and Masterworks, which you'll see all over, you know, beginning promoted. Those are products that take these kinds of alternative assets and bring them down to the retail consumer to be able to invest in them. Now, the pros and cons here, again, are that they, the pros are they're accessible in most part. The cons are the minimums are still a little too high, I think, to be comfortable, especially to women who want to start cautiously, as we discussed. But they're also tend to be hard to diligence and hard to get into and hard to do research on. Like a lot of us don't have the time as well in between, you know, being moms and or being, you know, professionals and, and, and building our career, having a life. Like we don't really have the time to sit and diligence each one of these in great detail. And so when we get these jargon terms flying at us and we see all of these products out there, they all look, they all look about the same and they're all sold by white men. There's just not a drive to participate in them. I think that's implicitly gating participation as well. Yeah. So 
the the parts about these alternatives, you know, as we said, they're often um, illiquid, like you can't get your investment back on your timetable. You need to wait often five years, sometimes 10 years for some of those early stage venture capital or angel investments. Um, opaque, as you said, it's difficult to get the information around them or really evaluate them because you don't have all the data the same way you have with a stock or publicly available data. Um, and then this gated access, meaning you need to be accredited, you need to be in the right communities, you need to be in the boys club traditionally. So how did you get your start in investing in these alternative assets? And can you tell us a little bit about your portfolio as it pertains to, are you putting stuff in hedge funds? Are you investing in venture capital funds? Are you putting stuff in collectibles and, and other real estate projects? Yeah, absolutely. How did I get my start? Well, I working in finance helped, right? Because I was in those conversations to begin with. And then I just basically began to ask and get information and parse it through myself and took some time every day to just make sure that I understood what I was doing and learned deeply about asset classes that I didn't know about already. But again, it was part of my day-to-day -day work as well. Like when I built these fintech companies, I built Forge. And that is a second marketplace. So I learned all about secondaries. I then joined Equity, which is a hedge fund democratizing startup. So I learned all about hedge funds. So for me, my workplace really gave me that leg up in understanding and learning all these asset classes. Um, I am currently pretty well diversified into a lot of these. The only thing I'm not really into right now is real estate, oddly enough, because I, I recently sold a, a, a couple of my holdings. But otherwise, I have a pretty well balanced portfolio in alternative assets, about 40% allocation by investable net worth. And that's been you know, performing really, really well. And that's one of those things where I said, look, I lucked into my knowledge, right? And so for me, it's like, well, how do I bring this philosophy, bring this knowledge, bring this body that I've accumulated to other women who don't have the advantage of being in, in all these rooms with me and learning by osmosis, hence 32 cents. Amazing. And so you just to confirm, you have 40% of your wealth in alternative assets? Correct. Yes. And the recommended allocation used to be around five to 10%. I actually think it should be closer to 30 to 40%, especially if you have net worth in excess of a quarter million. Mm -hmm. I think it's really, really helpful to have that alt allocation because that's what the elite guys do. Mm. That's how they've grown consistently. And, and that is 40% of your total wealth, not just 40% of your investment portfolio? Um, I think of wealth as total wealth, yes. So okay. to me, the way you think about your wealth is my primary residence is a source of my wealth because that's real estate, right? There's other, so we should always think about your wealth holistically, including, by the way, any options and stock options that you have in private companies. If you work for a startup, you get stock options. Those options are part of your wealth as well. And so you should treat them. And if you have all of your position in one, then it's time to diversify. So for me, it's holistic. Mm. And what percentage of your wealth then do you have in the public markets? I have around 20, now I have around 25% in public markets right now, just Got because it. I pulled back a fair amount um, last year. And I mean, we all did. <laughs> so. Yeah. 
But um, yeah, so that's that's what I have right now. And that's a lowish percentage, but I think that's actually, and most of that, by the way, is, is in my retirement accounts. So all mm-hmm. of those are public market portfolios. That's a great way to get exposure to public markets. It's long-term, it's highly tax efficient. And so maxing that out and, and making sure that's a public market instrument is a fantastic way to get exposure there. Mm-hmm, definitely. And then one one area within uh, alternative investing that you know Bad Bitch Empire really focuses on, and I know that this is something that you also care deeply about, is investing in angel investing in female led businesses. And so similarly, when it comes to investing in female fund managers, again, like the data is all there that female led businesses outperform. And so I want to talk about why women are such great investments, especially female founders. And like why when you are an angel investor, it's important to make your money work for both profit and impact. Because I think that that's something that's just so inherent to the way women invest. It's like, we want to invest for the betterment of the world. It's like, I think in this day and age, if you are if someone's building a company and it's not making the world a better place, like why are you building the company, right? And if you're, same thing, if you're an investor, if you're investing in a company that is not proactively making the world a better place, why are you investing it in it at all? And so let's let's just talk about why, you know, from your perspective, you are investing in women and why that's so important to you. Again, to me, right, very pragmatically, it is a better investment decision. Like, for example, I am working with percent to create a private credit note actually that and private credit is is one other example of alternative assets and that's investing directly in a basket of loans and creating a note that invests in all in a basket of loans made to female-owned companies and for me it's because women default on their loans less it's a better business Right. And so investing in women startups makes sense because they just make better investors and they make better operators and they're careful and they're better stewards of capital, as we just talked about. So so for me, it's beautifully mission aligned because I don't have to go out of my way to say I'm going to invest in women because it's it's diversification or it's diversity. I do it because it's better. They just give me better returns. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, when you just look at the macro trends of also what's happening by 2030, women are going to control two thirds of all wealth in the U.S. Already, we control 85 percent of consumer spending. We influence 70 percent of household financial decisions as a economy. Women as an economy are going to outpace some of the largest nation's economies in the next five years. And so there's just such a massive shift that's happening. And then also when it comes to innovation, I think about women-centered innovation and just how the days of men building, designing, and selling products to women are over. And so now we're moving into this space where it's we're not going to be content with men creating products for us. It's going to be about women creating products that address the needs of other women. And that's going to be the next wave of billion dollar businesses. So I think as an investor, especially if you are interested in investing in, you know, other women and other female founders and female founded businesses that you can understand because you're like, wow, this addresses my pain point. It's really starting to think about 
how do you see the world changing in the next five to 10 years? The, the rise of women in power is going to fundamentally change the way we consume products, the types of services, the types of leadership that is going to be in place. And so if you genuinely believe in that, that is the type of thing that you should be investing in because the way the world is going to shift is the thing that's going to also return your money. Absolutely. And it's funny, the first slide of my pitch literally says, there is a $3 trillion opportunity in alternative assets that is currently being thoroughly ignored because the people who design financial products in the alt space are all men, right? And so they're not designing for women. And so we're sitting out as we talked about. And so fundamentally, that that's how big the market is. That is a ton, a ton and ton of assets that are currently not being looked at or not being deployed. And women need to build more financial products for other women and design them thoughtfully in a way that attracts that AUM. Like I would love in 20 years to be the black rock for women in which you know you basically buy a share of 32 cents when your daughter is born and when she's 18 she graduates high school with a million dollars that would be amazing think about the number of stories we could tell if we had girls like that yeah and i think the other thing that's really important is is when i think about changing the narrative for women and in investing it's making the money feel tangible because one thing that i've noticed even in myself is that I was never driven by money for the sake of money. I don't like if I saw money as a tool for impact, as a as a tool for change, or I could leverage this money into something else, it felt tangible to me. And I think that's often why consumer products are things that women tend to easily invest in or easily buy, because there's this the same way when we think about community, like when it's tangible and you see those bonds, um, like those the like the true like friendship bonds that you form in community. And so even when we think about how do we turn this, how do we make investing feel tangible and have that same sort of feeling? Because it only got to a point when I actually was investing and I was seeing that tangible you know, growth in a female founder's company, or I was seeing the way that her, like, I knew that my money was making a difference in her company that I was like, oh, I can, I feel like this is a tool. So how do you, how are, how do you think about that in terms of like changing also this narrative around investing as something that is, is like empowering and as a tool for impact and change? Absolutely. And again, you're, it's so funny, you're, you're touching on every core premise that I had when starting at 22 cents as well. So it's, so it's really interesting, because um, that sense of participation, that sense of being of making what you're doing tangible, I think the traditional GPL structure in a fund where the GP makes all the decisions, basically, and it's a and it's not super, and it's fairly opaque lends itself to a very high trust situation. Whereas, for example, in 32 cents, we've made our entire process radically transparent. So the women who come in, right, they get to see the investments coming in, get diligence, they get to take part in the diligencing, they get to see all the documentation, they get to tangibly take part in running the fund alongside 
me, for example. And so they can experience not just in giving me money and sitting back and waiting for me to give reports, they can take part. I think the participatory element is one that most funds, most traditional financial products tend to avoid. They would rather you give them your money and sit back and do nothing. Whereas I'd rather you come to every meeting and participate and debate and challenge me and make sure that we all make better decisions together. And that leads to so much more engagement and participation. That's a superpower frankly. And it was, it's largely viewed as a pain in the ass, but it's actually a superpower to make this work, I think. And participatory investing is very powerful among women. Yeah. And so how do you then make a decision when it comes to investing? If like, do you have a a voting ratio or a certain kind of tipping point for actually deciding to make an investment? So for every deal that we do, we have a committee. And every member has a right to be on that committee. That committee is five to eight members, and we make a new one for for every deal. So all the members have a chance to be on at least one committee every six months, and that committee makes the decisions. It's not unanimous. It's actually 90% vote, because if if you require unanimity, people often don't feel empowered to speak up. Whereas if you have a majority, then voices of dissent feel safe dissenting and making the objections known without feeling like they're, oh, I'm holding back the entire club with my opinion. Again, that's a conscious psychological decision I made because women often don't want to be seen as holding something back or being the bottleneck or blocking people. So how do you give them permission to dissent? Well, you make sure that they don't feel like a blocker. And Mm -hmm. you end up having a much more diverse opinion set. So you are creating essentially a fund where women can participate in decisions and investing. What about if I put in a million dollars and then she puts in 10K, is it equal vote? Once you're on the committee, yes. So once you're on the committee, absolutely. Because it doesn't matter if, I mean, it does matter, but it doesn't matter in the sense that we all have the interest of of the club in mind. Got it. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, for us at Bad Bitch Empire and our fund, our focus is on female led companies that are creating exponential impact for women and the world. And so we are about to make our first investment and we're really excited about announcing that soon uh, once that goes through. So excited to share with all of you as well. Um, But the way we do it is also in a way where we um, bring women into part of the process. But first and foremost, we have our Bad Bitch Investor Bootcamp, which we will be launching our first cohort at the end of March. So we're really excited about that, which is really about training women first and giving that educational un- background and foundation to understand what exactly is angel investing? How does it fit within your portfolio? How do you think about allocating your money and the the return potential based off of where you are in your wealth? How do you do due diligence? How do you actually analyze a company and decide if it's good or not? We share our framework for diligencing a company. And then how do you source deals? How do you add value to founders? Because that's another thing about being an investor. You know, we often think that if you have money, the founder is going to take it. And that's often not true, especially if it's a really hot deal, because oftentimes the deals that are hot, every investor wants to get into. And that's when the founder has power. And they're like, no, I'm not going to take every investor. I own not all money is created equal. 
if you have a million dollars and she has a million dollars and he has a million dollars, they're going to say who's going to bring the most value to the table. So then as an investor, we also train within the Bad Bitch Investor Bootcamp. How do you add value to a founder? You know, how do you convince them that your 25K is is more valuable than their 25K so that you get on that cap table? So it's also, you know, it's like, just because you have money isn't enough. So that's all the stuff that we train women in terms of having that solid educational foundation to confidently invest in startups. And then there's the opportunity to participate and invest in the fund and actually put their money to work and then invest collectively into the companies that come into our pipeline. I love that so much. And fundamentally, I love that you're educating and then there's a what if, right? What do you do with that knowledge? Well, you can invest in this fund and you can become an angel. And that's absolutely fantastic. And frankly, I, I love what you said as well about the not, not all money is, is created equal. One of the most powerful things I've found while pitching white 32 cents should be an LP in several of these investments is to say, look, how many women do you have in your LP list? Five, three, one, zero. Well, I can, well, in this fund, I can bring you 30 female LPs off the bat. So do you want that? And often the answer is absolutely, how can we let you in, right? So leaning into the fact that we are bringing diversity to a cap table, that we're bringing that, that perspective, I lean into it. I think it's fantastic. And I've used that as a tool to get me into many cap tables, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that I love this leaning into leaning into whatever you got. Right. And exactly. it's like if you if you want us to be your female checkbox, I will do that so long as we get in the deal and we get that money. <laughs> I'll take it. Exactly. Exactly that. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, we have a question from the audience, which is how do you decide what stage, what business to invest in? What's your, I'm curious, what is your due diligence checklist? So for us, because we're diversified across asset classes, every asset class has its own, right? So you diligence a hedge fund differently than you would, than you would diligence a PE fund, that you would, then you would diligence a VC fund. So what we do in our product is every month we, when we introduce the deal for the month, we basically have a checklist for that asset class specifically. In a hedge fund, we'd look at uncorrelation, we'd look at strategy, we'd look at track record, team management, sharp ratios. So we have our own checklist of what that is for each asset class. And then the committee digs into those details and they make a decision on that basis. So for us, you know, I think this is a little bit more your wheelhouse question because we in because we decide to invest in businesses that are that 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 give us that broad based portfolio of diversified alts. So it's specifically women oriented where we can find them. But in general, it's like how do we empower women to make those kinds of choices and and to those kinds of assets th themselves. Yep. Yep. So. Um, what is your checklist when you're investing in uh, startups? Investing in startups. Um, it's funny. It's it's. I don't want to steal from you, but it's pretty similar. Like you know, are is it is there at least one woman on the founding team? Right? Are there? Is it led? Is it an idea that benefits the world in a certain way? Can we create exponential change? Um, I think for me, it's also you know, is this a founder who I can back even if the idea fails, 
because most ideas fail, is as a founder that I can back to do other things in the space, in, in the similar space. So it's almost like backing the space, the problem, and the founder. The specific idea implementation and the business model I care a little bit less about because that can change in that entire pivot all the time. But if you back the right founder, mm-hmm. you really got a good business. Yep, definitely. And how does that contrast or compare to, let's say, if you're analyzing a private equity fund? For a private equity fund, I would take a look at variables like their track record, the sector that they invest in, their particular strategy, are they LBO, are they growth stage? And I'm sorry, LBO means leverage buyouts. It means that you take a bunch of debt out on a business and then you cut costs and sell it off later at a higher multiple. So it's just a financial re-engineering is what that's called and that's a whole class of funds so i would look at the strategy and see does that strategy compare well with the current economic climate for example lbo funds will do less well when interest rates are high like they are right now so we take a look at the strategy take a look at at management team's pedigree as well where they come from what their backgrounds are how well they've done um unfortunately i would love to have a diversity lens in private equity but that is literally impossible (laughs) (laughs) There are vanishingly few funds. And so we do what we can. But in that particular space, it's it's honestly, are you at least investing in businesses that are doing good for the world? Mm. Right? Can we attend that that far? Yeah. Um, and obviously te- technical metrics like historical returns, you know, projected back tests, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Is that is it just as hard in hedge funds? It's pretty damn hard in hedge funds. I think the space that we actually have the most leeway to do impact investing work is in um, private credit um, and early stage venture capital and angel investing. That's when we do actually get some diversity. Otherwise, it's really, really hard. Although the one thing I will say is, I will mention is Hypatia Capital is building an index of women-run hedge funds, which are outperforming broader indexes. And so I am looking to work with them actually to make that investable and see if we can invest in it because that would be a superb product. Mm, That's amazing. Okay. Well, um, how do people find out more about 32 cents? You can visit my website, 32cents.com or send me an email at clara at 32cents.com and I would love to hear from you. And, you know, I'll tell you more about what we do, how to join, um, et cetera, et cetera. Let's, let's, let's close the gap together is what I would say. <laughs> awesome. And last question for you. What does it mean to you to be a bad bitch? <laughs> it, when I first came across your three slogans of bodies, boundaries, and bank accounts, I was so taken by that because that is what it means. It means taking charge of your body, making sure that you are doing what you want to be doing with your life, of your boundaries, and of your bank account because that is something that holds us back so much. Like the my the name of the fund, 32 cents, is, is a gender wealth gap. We have a one third of the wealth men have. And so for me, taking charge of your bank account means bringing that number up and getting to parity within our lifetimes, if we're lucky. That would be phenomenal if we could could help make that happen. Yes. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Clara. This was awesome. And I wish you best of luck and excited for continuing to collaborate with 32 Cents and the Bad Bitch Empire and closing the gap, uplifting women and cultivating the next generation of bad bitch investors.
Thank you so much, Lisa. That was phenomenal. If you enjoyed this episode, take a screenshot, tag me at Lisa Carmen Wang, and make sure you check out thebadbitchempire.com for events, courses, and other cool shit. Thanks for tuning in to The Bad Bitch Empire.